0: This is so say we all. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Ariola.
1: I'm the other host, Stephanie Kulak.
0: And joining us today, we have a special guest, one of my co-hosts for Multimedia Failure, Vanessa Cahill. Hello, <laughs> Vanessa. We roped you in because I feel bad that we've been putting you through these terrible, terrible movies. And uh, Stephanie and I just started doing this uh, podcast where we get to watch cool stuff. And I was like, this isn't fair to Vanessa that uh, I would make you to watch terrible stuff. So let's 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 get you on some good stuff here, huh?
2: And I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: Alright, so the first one we're going to be covering today is the first part of the Battlestar Galactica miniseries. And as time has gone on, it has become known as Night Part 1, which I didn't know up until recently. I thought it was just the Battlestar Galactica miniseries, but well, here we are. So this uh, this aired December 8th and 9th, or this one. December 8th, uh, 2003. Guys, uh, what is uh, what is your familiarity with Battlestar Galactica like? Did you see this when it first came out? How many times have you watched it? Let's kind of go over that. Stephanie, why don't you kick us off?
1: Um, well, I originally saw it about the time it came out. Uh, my dad was real excited for it, and me and my dad tend to have very similar uh, tastes in TV shows. So I started watching it with him, if not right when it premiered, right around the time it did, Uh, in a rerun or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have only watched just the miniseries three times uh, that first time. Then eventually, as the series progressed, I started having to work the nights that it was on. Uh, Yay, high school jobs. I started to have to work those nights, so I would often miss an episode. And at one point, I just fallen so far behind where i was just lost because it is a very serialized show yes and i just kind of gave up and then the uh second time i watched it was when the swine flu was going around so how about that uh (laughs) some balance with the fact that the next time i watched it was during the covid pandemic Woo! (laughs) but uh anyway so when the swine flu was going around i actually did contract that one and was stuck home from school and work and everything for like a week or two and just powered through a bunch of TV shows be it anime sci-fi whatever and actually starting and finishing Battlestar Galactica was one of those things that I did then but I had also been vaguely familiar with the original Battlestar Galactica and the original remake of Battlestar Galactica and the original remake of the remake of Battlestar Galactica Uh, (laughs) How many times has this show been rehashed?
0: <laughs> this is number three so far, right? This is the third third running of the show? Because there was the the original, then the 80s one?
1: I just thought this is a, a series that has a lot of revisiting. With good reason, too. It's an interesting premise. But I, I was already vaguely familiar with it. I've never watched the pre-2003 ones in completion. Only episodes here or there. Uh, But I at least had a basic understanding of who everybody was, what everything was uh, when I first went
2: into it back in 2003 with my dad.
0: Cool. How about yourself, Vanessa?
2: Um, I think, uh, I mean, I wasn't like part of the BSG community back in the day. Um, I think it was on Netflix maybe in like 2012. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I probably watched the full series. Then I think I stopped after season three because it got kind of, weird and religious but this time now I'm pretty committed so I've got like you know weeks ahead of me of good watching <laughs> <laughs> but I have seen most of the series before cool and I was actually I was not sure um i watched this as part of like uh the Netflix series which just added the mini series as part of season one so when we started watching this again I was telling my husband Jim about um oh I think it's like a new thing and like it's like apparently before, <laughs> right before the Cylons attack and I should have like put it together like oh we saw that as part of season one um but so we're watching and I'm like, oh yeah, we, we've seen this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
1: packaged the same way on the DVDs Blu-rays too. Mm-hmm.
0: So Yeah, the yeah, the first like sleeve of sets in there basically is uh, season one with the miniseries kind of thrown in there. So they sort I know of when had...
1: I was looking at buying it, I got a little confused too. I'm like, how do they not include the miniseries in here? Um, and then I, I've actually read the description and I'm like, oh, it's included with season one. That makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 It does seem a little like, I don't know. I I guess I can understand the confusion because I think I did the same thing thinking like, oh, Hey, this is surely going to be like, oh, is this separate? I might have to buy the, oh no, no, no. Okay. It all makes sense now. It, it's a little confusing, but yeah. So if you're looking to buy Battlestar Galactica, um, just buy any complete box set of it and that'll, that'll, that'll get you the mini series with season one.
1: Might not get you the movies, but it'll get you the miniseries.
0: Yeah, the Blu-ray box set I actually came with one of the movies. I don't remember which one off the top of my head. I think it's um, The Plan?
1: hmm Yeah, the Razor. No, Razor is included in with the series, too. Um, oh, shoot. What is it? I, I know i Blood and Steel? To, it,
0: it has to be that steel? one.
1: That's okay. the only other one.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, because there's three movies all, all together, which is
1: mm-hmm. a
0: little confusing. We've got to figure out timeline wise, like where we're going to fit that into this uh, into this podcast. But hey, we'll we'll get there when we get there. How about we how about we concentrate on the miniseries first, huh?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So as for me, I I got into this about maybe about a year and a half ago, going on two years now. I got really sick, so uh, funny how that kind of circled back around to this, like uh, like you or Stephanie. Uh, it was on Amazon Prime and. Chick McGee from the Bob and Tom show, a uh, you know nationally syndicated uh, comedy radio show, um, had been recommending it for years, like talking about how great it was, and I just was like in dire straits, like physically, and just did not want to do anything playing video games was uh, too much of a task to be uh, fucked with. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to watch a show that's long and one that I've wanted to see. I've already checked off the wire off my bucket list, so if I die from this, I I can at least say I you know started watching Battlestar Galactica, if not finished it. So I started watching it and just remember laying on the couch and watching the miniseries and then following up with like the rest of the first season before I finally collapsed in a heat, basically just exhausted. And <laughs> boy, let me tell you the first couple of minutes of the show I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna lie. And then like as soon as the uh the big thing happens in the first like, you know, two minutes of the show, I was like, okay, I think I'm in there. I think I'm in on this. I think I I think I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I do remember vaguely just seeing the designs of the original Cylons, but I never actually have seen any of the old uh, Battlestar Galacticas, I have heard that uh, I can probably keep it that way and just be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah.
1: And I mean, if you saw this Battlestar Galactica, you did see the original battle, uh, the original Cylons in there.
0: Yeah, they do have them (laughs) as a museum piece in one of the episodes.
1: And later on, they make another appearance, too. Oh,
0: okay. I boy. My memory might be a little fuzzy. I I did not finish watching it in uh, the, that uh, illness. I ended up finishing it like months and months later. I think I just like binged a little too hard, too fast, and I was like I need a break, and then I came back to it, and <laughs> yeah. I think it was like season three. I kind of like stopped watching and came back to it. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, so.
2: Because it gets weird and religious.
0: <laughs> uh, it, it starts even has it in a little bit in the beginning, too. I think it kind of cues you in a little bit that it's going to end up doing that maybe eventually I thought that the religious overtures in some parts were a little strange at first and then as I've kind of come back and watched the miniseries again the ending I don't want to say makes a little bit more sense but them getting to that point makes a little bit more sense when you think about it but yeah it does kind of get a little little oddly religious towards the end but that is way down the line so why don't we go ahead and let's stick with the miniseries <laughs> Oh, Alright guys, uh, so I think we're going to do, I'll kind of do, not a not, not as in-depth of a blow-by-blow as I do with uh, Multimedia Failure, but we'll kind of do something here where we can bounce off, I'll kind of go through scenes and we and introduce characters and stuff, because I feel like that's important, especially considering how character-driven this show is. The overall plots, I almost want to say it can be throwaway at times, but the character development in this show I just think is so good. That that warrants more kind of exploration sometimes in the actual plot itself, if that makes a lick of sense.
2: Oh, totally. I mean, well, if you think about it, like the plot's like running, 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 being chased, running, running. Like it's like like nothing, stuff happens in the entire series, but mostly it's like fleeing the Cylons is the plot of this entire show. Mm Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how everyone makes fun of the Lord of
1: the Rings as being nothing but a bunch of walking because it is heavily focused on the characters and the way they interact with all the walking. You get the same thing with Battlestar Galactica and how all the characters are interacting with fleeing from the Cylon.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite things is, I mean, we'll get to it here in a little bit, but just how the uh, the war is over and we've lost. Like, just that... just. Mm-hmm admitting defeat and just going into survival mode at that point is just like one of my favorite things about this series so but anyway let's go ahead and let's move on here so I did actually want to read kind of that introductory quote that's at the beginning there just like introducing Battlestar and that's the Cylons were created by man they were created to make life easier on the 12 colonies and then the day came when the Cylons decided to kill their masters after a long and bloody struggle an armistice was declared the Cylons left for another world to call their own a remote space station was built where Cylon and human could meet and maintain relations Every year, the Colonials send an officer. The Cyclones send no one. No one has seen or heard from the Cylons in over 40 years. And this is where we kind of see the Armistice Station, which is just sort of this... It looks like the International Space Station, essentially, which is kind of... in stark contrast to a lot of what we see throughout the rest of the series as far as what the space stuff looks like. It just it seems a little out of place, but I guess when you're literally just making something where you can kind of meet and talk with your quote-unquote enemy, I suppose, at that point... You you don't need anything too fancy, right? Yeah.
2: The enemy's a robot, so they, like, really need very
0: little... Accommodations? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine, like, putting myself in this guy's shoes, the armistice officer who goes in there, sits down, and, you know, for the last 40 years, no one has seen or heard, and and all of a sudden, that door just opens up, and you're like, oh, God, am I going to get blown away here? And then, you know, you've got the, what they call, you know, the toasters coming through the door, and then you have this... Uh, forgive me for being so crass, but just this gorgeous, like six foot tall blonde woman strutting through, and you're like, uh, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> she definitely catches her catches your eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. And the only thing she asks is, "Are you alive?" And then tells you to prove it, and then makes out with you. I was like, oh boy, that is like every nerd's fantasy right there. <laughs>
2: I feel bad for that officer because probably he's like uh, They were like It's okay Steve This is the easiest job They don't show up I know you're a rookie But you'll be fine
0: Actually he looks like He was on the tail end Of his career at that point
2: Yeah (laughs) We know you're about to retire But you'll be
1: fine
0: (laughs) There you go Yeah
1: What's uh, going to happen. This is the most
2: boring job ever. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to show up. There definitely won't be Cylons.
0: We literally have had people had careers start and end since we've last seen them. So don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, shit, really? <laughs> this is probably his first time doing it, too. He's just like, I ah, sure I'll fill in for you, buddy. Don't worry about it. I'll just take my uh, portfolio of stuff here and and the picture of my family. And oh, uh, 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 crap. Really? Wait, wait to call in.
2: <laughs> or Steve.
0: Poor Steve. (laughs) I don't even know if that's his name, but whatever. So, yeah, if you uh, can't figure out from that. According
1: to the IMDb, he mm -hmm. was identified as Colonel Wakefield in the novelization version. Okay. And the original intent was that he was going to be shown actually going there every year over the last 40 years. Uh, So he was actually the, the older man we saw was a younger man that had age enhancing makeup on.
0: Oh, that's wild! huh? That is interesting,
1: yeah, I just pulled up the i m d b while we're talking, and I'm looking at the trivia. <laughs> oh cool,
0: cool, All right, so let's go ahead and let's move on to the uh where we're gonna see most of the series happen. that is on the the Battlestar Galactica, which is just this gigantic like space kind of aircraft carrier slash battleship and before we get into that, though, I do have to say I think Battlestar is probably one of my favorite names for a spaceship. I just love that name,
1: oh, that's so cool, yeah.
0: When you hear it, you just immediately think like, oh, this thing's going to be badass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is badass. It really is, especially for being in a rickety old bucket of bolts.
0: Yeah, with uh, you know, computers that barely deserve the name. Mm-hmm.
1: So, <laughs> All
0: right. So this is where we get introduced uh, first off to Kara Thrace, who is going to be known as I'm going to call her Starbuck throughout the rest of the thing. Um, I've, I've gone in through the trouble of making sure we list the characters full name and throughout this and giving their actors just in case. But for the most part, we're going to go by their shortened names. So we're going to get a lot of just calling, you know, commander Adama, uh, just Adama. We're going to, I'm going to call Lee Adama Apollo throughout the whole thing. If you guys say something different, that's fine. But that's just sort of a shorthand for me. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you guys will understand what I'm getting at with that. So uh, we see Cara Thrace, uh, Starbuck running through the Galactica and we kind of get a little bit of the history filled in. As I mentioned before, explaining that Galactica is the last battle star God, Uh, still in service. (laughs) It kind of explains like why this one is so analog that the humans were so frightened by our enemies that we literally looked backwards for protection. And the guy doing this tour is a character named Aaron Doro, who's portrayed by Matthew Bennett. I... He does just kind of strike me as this, like, this kind of weaselly little guy who's just like, oh, I'm a tour guide, Ooh, sort of dweeb <laughs> is the best I can put it. You don't really get much of a sense of who he is outside of that and who he ends up being later on in the sh- in the series. I mean, we'll find out by the end of the miniseries, but it doesn't really, I think, come into play in his introduction. You're just kind of like, oh, here's a dweeb. Who cares?
2: All tour guides are dweebs. I was a tour guide in college.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so this is where we start seeing uh, Commander William Adama. uh, Edward James Olmos is the actor who portrays him. Working on memorizing a speech on his way to the bridge. Boy, I I think he starts and stops like the first two lines here. I don't know about a total of six times as he's getting interrupted by uh, people telling him how great he is and how much they appreciate having worked with him and everything. You get a sense that Adama is very much a character, a person that is just respected amongst his crew so as they're walking through we're introduced to uh lieutenant felix Gaeta, who is played by alessandro giuliani uh he as he gets onto the bridge he mentions the officer that went to the armistice station is being overdue and he kind of they kind of like brush it off like i ain't got time for this it's like you know it's like seriously we're decommissioning the ship we're we're getting all this stuff together it's like ah whatever yeah i'm sure it's nothing i'm sure it's an oversight not really setting or you know kind of setting up the sort of callous nature that humans have about the cylons and everything at this point
2: They've gotten so complacent. This is why they were unprepared.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, come on, guys, you should have paid a little bit more attention. So Commander Adama goes down to the deck and he is met by Senior Chief Petty Officer Galen Tyrell, who is played by Aaron Douglas. And turns out uh, through through kind of just some happenstance of their own, they dug up Adama's old Mark II Viper and restored it on their own time. And then they managed to go through like the military archives and found a picture of him as a younger man with his two sons, which I thought was kind of a cool thing uh, that they photoshopped um, a picture of a of uh, Edward James Olmos as a younger man into this thing. I thought it was a nice little touch that they spent the time to go through that. Well, they
1: had a few of those, too, throughout the series.
0: Yeah. Um, there's also some oddball things of like Richard Hatch being thrown in there, too, a character we won't meet for a couple of episodes. But it's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So now we go to the card game with Starbuck and a couple of the other officers and then uh, the executive officer, Colonel Saul Tye, who's played by Michael Hogan, who's um, having some problems right now, unfortunately. And this uh, this scene is one of my favorites uh, just for, like, setting up character interactions with each other. You can see and feel the tension between Starbuck and Ty. Just they do not like each other at all.
1: And at this point, you also start counting how many times Colonel Ty gets punched
2: in the face.
0: It does seem to happen to him a lot. (laughs) Poor
2: guy. Well, they're they're both like highly unlikable. Like they're just like super, super abrasive.
0: Yes. Which is fine.
1: (laughs) And you could definitely take one or the other of them, but you stick the two of them in the same room. Yeah. You want to leave that room. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it is a lot of that kind of like warrior mentality of two people who are, you know, some of the best of the best, you know, Starbuck might be the best of the best, but you you get a feeling that Colonel Ty at one point was like really a great pilot, a great warrior. And, you know, he's obviously on the uh, downward slope at this point in his career. And just that abrasiveness between the two of them really comes through here. And that's just another thing, I guess, this is one of my favorite scenes just for the character building, just that feeling of like, oh, these two do not like each other, they butt heads, and it's because I think Colonel Ty kind of sees a lot of himself in Starbuck, and is sort of maybe a little bothered by the fact that this young pilot is coming up and is already surpassed where he ever was. As they're playing cards, there's a lot of banter back and forth, and I think one of my favorite things there is just the where'd you get that name? Starbuck, Starbuck, buck, 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 buck. It's such an old man way of making fun of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Starbuck kind of really 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 goes in for the jugular and mentions uh how's the wife doing <laughs> and as uh, starbuck wins the uh, card game uh tai pulls a miyamoto and flips the table uh he gets punched and then he sends her to the brig and that's kind of the uh start of that dynamic You're like oh okay well no shit this is how this is gonna go with these two they really don't care for each other
1: <laughs> yep adds for some interesting drama throughout the whole series though
0: yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it even just the miniseries by itself, you get to see a little bit of growth between the two of them, even if mm-hmm. uh, there's a little bit of um, resistance, I suppose, on uh, one party's end uh, more than the others with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So Ty and Adama are talking about Starbuck. Um, you know, he's, he's saying, you're not really going to send her to the brig for this, right? Or you know he's like, damn straight I am. It's like, oh, come on, man, really? It's like we're decommissioning <laughs> this ship. Let's, let's cut her some slack here. So... So uh, you can tell Adama's got a soft spot for Starbuck, and then Adama kind of mentions to uh, Colonel Ty that, oh, even been starting off the morning pretty early. And, you know, they kind of go back and forth a little bit. And then another line that... Again, this is another, like, great character-building thing here, I feel, where the two of them are talking, and you get that sense that they've been in the shit together for a long, long time. And Adama looks at him and says, you did kick over the table first. And Ty looks at him and says, I did not. And then he kind of <laughs> looks down and... Unless I did <laughs> just like clearly doesn't really remember uh, it too, too well. So I was like, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, maybe you need to back off a little bit. And then, you know, Dama <laughs> said, let's just, just let her cool her heels for a little bit and let's can maybe drop this whole thing.
2: Oh, man. This is why this is why the Silence attacked, guys, because these are the people who are protecting our, our <laughs> yep, 12 colonies.
0: And in the end or by the end of this miniseries, the people protecting all of humanity at that point. <laughs> so, all right, so now we're going to go to Caprica, which is sort of like, I guess, the biggest colony out of all of the colonies here. Um, There's 12 colonies in this galaxy, uh so t- on 12 different planets, and they all sort of make up just the human race in general. And this is where we first meet the Secretary of Education, Laura Rosslyn, who is played by Mary McDonnell. Uh, she's sitting in a doctor's office and gets a, let's say, not great prognosis about her cancer being untreatable. Yep. And I don't know really if this was completely intentional, but just the... um. Well, I mean, obviously it was intentional, but just the overdubbing of the ship as the doctor's talking and then switching scenes to her being on what would end up becoming uh, Colonial One, I thought was a nice little effect of just having having her zone out and have that show like shutting out, I suppose, when you're getting the news that like, hey, you got cancer and you're going to die from this pretty soon.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty uh, distracting diagnosis. I mean, I went through that, not through Terminal by any means, clearly, a uh- sitting here talking to you.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> but still, even h- having a doctor tell you that it's in a, a precancerous or very early stage cancer is just shocking news. And uh, you're out of it for quite some time. So, yeah, that was done wonderfully. And I think I actually appreciated that scene a lot more watching it this time through after I have experienced a much lesser, but similar situation in my own life than the previous times where I watched this show where, you know, it was just a, okay, so she's sick. Yeah. <laughs> um, which sounds rather callous, but you know, it, it's when you have gone through it personally or somebody very close to you has gone through that situation, you you have a different spin on those types of things than you do when you're just a casual viewer.
0: Yeah. I I don't know that I would have really had the same effect if my mom hadn't had like breast cancer, um, like a year and a half ago either. Like I think it was like shortly after I watched this that she got the diagnosis, and I was like, Ugh, boy, it just kind of,
1: kind of hit me. Man, no,
0: yeah, it was weird.
1: I could imagine too if it had been the same type of cancer that I went through, it probably would have been even more heavy hitting with that scene. But still, I, I think they got the emotional state for Rosalind very, very well on point with reality there.
0: So, moving on there, she goes onto her ship, and her new assistant, Billy, is going over the de- Battlestar's decommissioning ceremony. And I really appreciate that Rosalind just seems, like, very stoic and together, and then goes to the bathroom and, like, unbuttons her um, her shirt, her jacket, and is, like, holding onto her breast and just, like, has a breakdown there. Just really showing, like, this is in my body, and my body's, be- like, not betrayed me, but sort of betrayed me, you know? Mm-hmm. It- Oh, God, it's it's. Re- I don't want to say powerful, but for me, it's a pretty powerful moment there. Just like, holy shit! Like things just really got serious here. It's like, oh okay. And then my initial viewing, I don't know about you guys. My initial viewing was like, this is going to be a character who's not going to be around for very long. I wasn't thinking like this is going to be a character that's going to be with us through the whole series. I thought, oh, maybe she's with us through the mini series, and then maybe like a little bit of the first season, and then she goes kaput.
1: <laughs> Such a delicate way of saying it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know. Like I said, on my initial viewing, I didn't think much of her, I suppose, just because I didn't realize her importance. But on my on my second viewing now of the series, this moment really kind of strikes a little bit more. As odd as it is, and as long as the series is, I really feel like, you know, a second viewing after you've watched the series and know the overall thing that's going on, you kind of start seeing a little bit more of the importance of some characters and moments as you're kind of going through on the second watch.
1: I agree. Even though when I went through and rewatched it again there were many times where I legitimately couldn't remember something, and so it did kind of come as a surprise. There were also still things that, even if I didn't remember the actual event, I remembered that there's a key importance with this particular person, so pay attention to the stuff they do and things like that. Yeah. Um, Even when some of it was just kind of pulled out of the hat as they were writing, um, they made all those future decisions about some characters, I think, really well, based on the way that they had already been having those characters act and such.
0: Yeah, they did a very good job of, despite a lot of the show uh, being sort of pulled out of their ass as they go, it feels like they really did a good job of pinning this thing down a little bit ahead of time and like, oh, hey, let's make this happen, you know, like, let's let's get some undertones of what the characters might end up being Mm -hmm. and give them a little bit of setup before we actually do anything in case we decide not to do anything with it.
1: Like, it seriously does almost give off a Babylon 5 vibe of having the whole story planned out from the beginning when they didn't at all. That's how conscientious they were of their own lore that they were developing. Oh,
2: cool. Yeah, I I agree with that, too. And I think that's that kind of plays into the character development, right? Like, at some point you can say, um, well, we... Like, like, let's write it this way. So a big thing comes up. What would Starbuck do? What would Apollo do? And then how do they interact? Versus like, saying, like, well, um, you know, trying to, like, write all their reactions on the fly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. The writers
1: actually remember their characters. <laughs> they don't just remember their names. They remember the character themselves. Right.
0: <laughs> what I was saying earlier, like, the show is just so character driven. Then as like you said, like, the plot is very kind of basic to a point. And just the characters make up this thing. I think that's why I like this. And even the shittiest of the shitty people in this show, like, I, I end up feeling for. And
1: there's a lot of all- Oh, yeah.
0: There's a lot of shit people in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so even that, like, I feel like there's a lot of uh, people I could really get on board with, even caring about their plight, even if they are kind of shitty, uh, shitty people there. Mm-hmm. interruption there with the podcast here, but actually uh, one of our guests is, is here now. So say hello to serotopian I know her as Francis and Franny, so I might slip up and call her that occasionally. But anyway, say hi, Franny. Hi. I already did it. I already slipped up. Jesus. Hi, <laughs> So, Freddy, as far as Battlestar Galactica goes, I wanted to get you on here, too. This way we had a uh, bigger cast for this show. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with this series? It can be this one. It can be the older ones as well. Just basically just Battlestar Galactica as a whole. What's been your experience with it?
4: So I guess when it first came out, there was a big hullabaloo about it. So I watched it and it was good and it was fun. I watched the old one and it was a product of its time. (laughs) And that's pretty much my experience with it. Like, I enjoyed it. It was it was a good show.
0: Did you watch it, like, initially when it came out? Or was that something um, you kind of caught later?
4: I think I actually did watch it as it was coming out. But it's been so long. I, like, my memory is like a goldfish. So I don't actually remember too much. Okay. So I'm, I'm just kind of watching this again with more fresh eyes, I guess.
0: So this is going to be like a treat, almost like seeing it for the first time?
4: Uh, sort of. I'm pretty sure there's, like, little bits where it's kind of, like, little tags of, like, bookmarks where I remember certain bits of it. But I don't, I totally did not remember that they actually revealed certain things in, like, the first miniseries. I was like, oh, I thought that happened later on. Because this was actually pretty interesting.
1: I (laughs) thought the exact same thing. And I wonder if we're thinking of the same things that are revealed way earlier than I remembered them being revealed. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, wait, wait. They actually showed this at the end of the
4: miniseries? Yep,
1: we're thinking of the same thing then. (laughs) Um, I was completely caught off guard because it had been like about 10 years between me watching it the last time and me watching it this time. And when that thing was revealed, I was like, whoa. But we'll get to that in about an hour or so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and we'll get this thing rolling here. So, uh, Franny, anytime you feel like you want to interject or just chime in, just feel free to chime in and just shut me up for half a second. Cause I do a lot of talking and I get really tired of hearing my own voice. So hearing somebody else's oh, yeah. voice is always nice.
1: Okay. Okay. If you got tired of your own voice, you wouldn't be doing four or five podcasts.
0: No, 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 no. See, I enjoy doing the podcast. I enjoy talking about them. I, I, just because <laughs> I have to like actually record my own voice. If I, if I could do these podcasts without me talking, I would do that. That is why, if you recall, I was trying to get you to do a podcast by your, or not by yourself, but your own.
1: Hey, as we get more of these done, maybe I'll be a little bit more of a host than a co-host. There we go. Who
0: knows? Maybe I'll even let you lead. How's that? This way you can get oh, a little, no. a little <laughs> practice with that so I don't have to do this all the damn time. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. If one uh, day we're going to have the cast together
1: and, and he's just going to be like, all right, Stephanie, you're the one leading this time. And I'm going to be like, ah!
0: <laughs> Oddly, I can't make this episode, but I'll be there to record for you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anyway, let's go ahead and let's move on here. Yeah, Vanessa's done, Vanessa's done multimedia failure a few times and she's done just fine. Actually, I think one it's of the not, best episodes we've done is... Uh, the blood rain episode she did so i think it's one of our best episodes of multimedia failure so
2: as the host you get to pick and choose what you talk about you can say ah that part was unimportant
0: (laughs) all right speaking of things that are uh not unimportant uh terrible segue jason but hey it's what i'm here for (laughs) terrible segues anyway so we go back to six walking around caprica and checking out the baby and this scene good boy this was uncomfortable even the first time i saw it and even more so the second time uh, just knowing kind of what i know about things she seems more curious about the baby than kind of anything and then that line of they're there it's okay you're not gonna have to cry much longer it's like uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what i thought was kind of funny in a very morbid way is uh this time around i watched it with tim and he's uh he's only seen little bits and pieces of the show in the past during that whole scene, he kept going, she's going to kill the baby, isn't she? Oh, if she doesn't kill the baby, I'm going to be pissed off. <laughs> and so when she finally killed the baby, he was like, yes, she killed the baby. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh,
0: God. OK, wonderful. I don't know how I feel about her, about him being excited about that. But
1: <laughs> I, I mean, it, I can understand the excitement considering the fact she's already been revealed as a Cylon. So she is our uh, baddie here. And that really cemented her position as being the big baddie.
0: Yeah. Now, I kind of got the impression that she wasn't trying to kill the baby. I think she was genuinely curious about how, as she uh, put the uh, baby's neck, being able to support the head. Mm-hmm. And I think she accidentally killed it. Franny, Vanessa, what do you guys feel? You guys feel that was accidental or maybe intentional? Or
2: I think that number six shows a lot of weird curiosities. Like that's like a special number six, I guess. She's Caprica Six. Caprica Six, yes. I feel like she's like a... I, I feel like she wasn't being malicious. She's just like... you're. I mean, she's a robot, right? Like, you're going to die soon. Okay. But regardless
1: of the intent or not, she's still the antagonist right there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So whether that was an accidental death or a, an intentional one, it still does cement her position as the role we're supposed to see her in. Oh,
4: yeah, for sure yeah I thought it was actually intentional and more of a mercy killing like you won't have to suffer the after effects of an explosion. You'll just die really quick here.
0: hmm that's a I didn't thought about it that way either okay, I could see that see my thing is I think she looked genuinely bothered by the fact that she killed it as she walked away, but maybe that was just me maybe i I, I don't know i i I'm getting a weird reading on this show as we're, as I'm watching it now for the second time it's like i said you 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 know a lot more of their intent and everything especially like me i I have the most recent viewing of this as far as that goes so it's a little bit more fresh in my mind so i i kind of feel like sometimes she's almost like talking about people and their lives uh, as this kind of mini series progresses as more like somebody who's interested in them like you talk about like somebody who's like interested in like ants or something like that you know what i mean
1: see that's the real interesting thing about Caprica Six is she does have that curiosity, but she also at the same time often shares the vindictiveness and the hatred towards humans and that that mo- many of the other Cylons feel, and she constantly is struggling with which way she really feels yeah and that scene right there was a perfect setup for it because regardless of how you interpret her killing that baby yeah. There was conflict with her doing it—internal conflict.
0: Yeah, and that does set her up as a interesting character that only gets more interesting as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. Doesn't hurt that she's uh, easy on the eyes, too. There, <laughs> so, <laughs> I will say that as the as the only male here on the podcast, I suppose <laughs> I got to throw that in somehow.
1: I think she's a lot easier on the eyes when she's got the darker blonde hair as the other sixes. Um, I can't remember what name she goes by in those episodes, so.
0: Maybe it is just six or does she go by Caprica six at that point? No,
1: she, she has a different name. Oh, does she? Um, okay. It's a different model though. It's not Caprica. Okay. It's the one that was on the, um, on the Pegasus. Hmm.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah or yeah. am I
1: talking too far ahead for you? Right a now? little,
0: a little bit, but let's, yeah, that's okay. No, I remember now what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I remember now. It's I,
1: closer to the actress's natural hair color. And I think it looks a lot better than the platinum blonde. Okay. That's all.
0: Okay. I got gotcha. you.
1: <laughs> I think she's much more pretty than.
0: Either way, I don't. I don't care either way. Honestly, <laughs> it's all good for me. Anyway, uh, moving on. So this is where we get introduced to uh, Gaius Baltar, who's portrayed by James Callis. He is the, um, I would say, like DeGrasse Tyson, sort of the rock star scientist, if you will, of the universe here.
1: And the cause of everything.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe inadvertently, but you know, also it is a lot of his hubris for uh, thinking. In, well, not just hubris, but. Uh, being an idiot, uh, being led around by his own, um, let's say, uh, lizard libido. brain. Yeah, libido. There you go. That, uh, that that led to all of this. So uh, he's watching himself on TV, which as a guy who has to listen to himself do podcasts, <laughs> I just, I'm like, oh God, man, you, oh boy. See, I do this again because I enjoy this. He does that because he enjoys himself.
2: Yeah, he's real douchey. Yeah. Real
1: he's douchey. A narcissist and then
4: some. Yeah. I have a, written a note that said something about beta fish and how they're not even in a bowl. They were in like vases. <laughs> and I was like, that's such a douche thing to do.
2: <laughs> I know, those poor beta fish. And I you know he doesn't clean that water. No. No. Definitely not.
0: Well I don't think he does much of anything. I'm sure he has somebody I'm sure he hires out.
1: Everything.
4: Those fish are probably dead and replaced and he doesn't even know.
0: <laughs> they just it's die every day.
4: That's probably that's probably so true. <laughs> uh.
0: One weird little note I noticed, though, um, the TVs are in portrait mode, so they have this, like, effectively a widescreen TV, but it's because it's two TVs plastered together, which I thought was an oddball thing. Just speaking as the kind of, like, guy who's, like, really into TVs and stuff, I was like, oh, that's a weird choice. I wonder why they would do that. Couldn't figure out if you just flip the TV on its side, like, you could probably get all that in one shot.
1: There are a few uh, design choices that the prop crew went with that made me a little head scratchy at times too. <laughs> like the corners cut off of every paper.
0: Yeah. Um you did um do you know why they did that?
1: I figured it was just to set up a look. Uh,
0: well, the original intent, I sort of getting off track here for half a second, uh, was they were told that they needed to cut some corners here and there. So that was one of the things they decided to do was cut corners and they just decided to just to kind of run with it. They it was sort of like a big F you to the executives who told them they needed to cut some corners on the on the uh, on the budget there. So, okay,
1: well, that at least is humorous and I can appreciate the fuck you sentiment behind it. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was just such an odd choice until I heard that little line.
0: Yeah. I I agree. I I looked it up. That was the only reason I know that was because when I first saw it and they kept running with it, I was like, there's got to be something behind this. And I looked it up and was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So uh, as um, we're watching guys kind of go on about advocating for the use of ai which uh you know in 40 years i guess you kind of you lose away from some of the memories of the cylons kind of rising up and slaughtering you as a race basically at some point and just think like oh yeah no everything's fine now we can totally go ahead and do this right no problems and then six walks in and boy do they got something going on there and they they go into the bedroom and she says she's hot guys so hot and then her Spine starts glowing red, which I was like, oh, that's a little on the nose there (laughs) for letting you know she's a Cylon. (laughs) So now we go back to the Galactica, and this is where we meet Captain Lee Apollo Adama, who's played by Jamie Baber, or Bamber. And he lands his Viper on the Galactica, and he seems a little, I don't want to say miffed, but a little confused about the hands-on approach, basically, instead of letting an autopilot thing take care of it. So this is where we uh, see Chief Tyrell um, introducing himself to Apollo, and you get a, kind of an obvious sense that Apollo and Adama's relationship is a little, let's say, strained and tenuous at best.
1: That's one way to put it at the beginning of the series.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Apollo saying something and then Tyrell saying, Commander Adama, just very much like, I respect this man, I don't care if you don't, you will call him by his proper, you know, name. It's like, geez, okay, it's like, your own son uh, is less appreciative of you than uh, than the crew, that's that's a really clear indication of something something bad happened there apparently at some point.
2: Well yeah, it's like mm-hmm. not that unexpected with like weird father-son dynamics, especially in like this weird, like uh weird like like you know, first of all, like your dad's kind of like your boss anyway, and it's like, oh you're like
1: really my boss.
0: This mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, it's like now you're literally my boss. Great, cool.
1: And not only that, he's a very revered man within the uh within the military branch that you're also in. And You've always had a strenuous relationship with him, mostly because of that career path. And, yeah, they they did a very good job at setting up what is almost a cliche uh, father-son relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Right in those first moments of the two of them being together.
0: Yeah, I agree. So the next scene is Tyrell and Lieutenant Sharon Boomer Valeri, who is played by Grace Parker, arguing amongst themselves. And they come off and it's, at first I was like, what the hell is going on here? And then it's made very clear, very quickly, as um, her co-pilot slash navigator, Carl Hilo Agathon who is played by Tomo Pinnicket? I believe is how you pronounce the name. I could be saying it wrong. Probably I'm saying it wrong, but we'll just go with that. Uh, it's kind of rolling his eyes at the two of them bickering. They go into a closet for a little downtime and then get hot and heavy. So I kind of got it like a nice little like, hey, you know, we're you know, this this thing is being decommissioned. Obviously, this has been going on for a little while, but you know, they're probably all getting scattered to the four winds. So they're sort of enjoying their time with each other because they figured like I might never see you again because you're gonna get you know reassigned over here i'm gonna get reassigned over there and we'll never see each other after this so it's just sort of one of those things of like let's just take advantage of the time we got while we have it which is a big kind of theme that ends up running through the show
1: yeah a lot of people decide that you know i've got this time now i'm not gonna waste it because most of the show (laughs) yeah pretty much most of the show is a continuation of yolo for the sheer fact that They don't know if they're going to be around for much longer, so they may as well experience things now. Yeah. And they actually make that into a very dynamic driving force for a lot of the conflicts that do occur.
0: All right. So then we go to the flight meeting where uh, Apollo finds out he's going to be using Commander Adama's Viper. And um, he really tries to uh, feign that he's uh, honored by that. He just kind of looks around like, oh, yeah, no, that's wonderful. Great. Cool. (laughs) Like... thanks
1: (laughs) thanks <laughs> yeah
0: just could not be bothered to be uh, pretend to be interested there <laughs> it's like a oh, poor guy it's like this is a that's a guy who has a uh, uh, not great relationship with his father so much so that i basically I, I don't know if you can disown a parent but i effectively disowned him that i'm like oh, I, I i understand where you're coming from there lee so back to caprica gaius and six are walking about town and talking about work uh, that they've done together and him letting her kind of poke around at the defense mainframe which I don't care how innocent that sounds. That does not sound like something you would do even just to get laid.
1: Well, Gaius
2: is a very smart idiot. I mean, Caprica Six is, is pretty attractive. Like, mm-hmm. Gaius... Yeah. Though he pretends to get laid all the time. Maybe not. I mean, she's got legs for days.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Days.
0: <laughs> they call her Caprica Six because she's her legs are like six feet. So... <laughs> oh Yeah, that's why she's a six model. So, anyway... um. <laughs> So this is where we start getting a little bit of the religious overtures uh, Vanessa was alluding to before. Uh, She starts going on about God wanting her to help him. And Gaius kind of comments about it being weird. Someone so intelligent, uh, believing in God, you know, something so I want to say like like chaotic as believing in God, basically. And a divine plan or everything's part of a divine plan rather than like logistic out everything to death like Gaius does it kind of gives a little bit of a sense of what the show is going to end up being further down the road. And admittedly, like the first time I watched this, I just didn't think much of it. The second time coming through now, as I'm, you know, I I know where the show goes. It's like, okay, so they are kind of setting things up to kind of go in this direction eventually, but not, not really like smashing you over the head with it.
1: I mean, she says she is a messenger of God. I just know she says what she is right away. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I think she might be, that,
2: that might be like the hallucination version of her. Yeah.
0: Or is it a hallucination of her anyway? Or, or is it? Yeah. yeah. No, she
1: says
2: straight up what she is. She's a messenger of God,
1: an angel of God. Fair it's enough. not a hallucination. <laughs> she she is what she says she is.
0: That's all you can be, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's go back out to space here. So we're on the Galactica here, and we get a shot of the original Silent models as Rosalind ship pulls up, which I thought was kind of a nice little like thing there. You get to see the original Toasters, quote unquote, basically. They are greeted by Adam Doral, the uh, tour guide, and then this is where we get to meet—or actually, I kind of neglected to mention his name there before. But Rosalind's assistant is Billy Kakeya, I believe is how you say it. It's K-E-I-K-E-Y-A. So Kakeya,
1: I suppose. I forgot he even had a last name. Yeah, Billy.
0: Yeah. Uh, he is portrayed as, or he is portrayed by Paul Campbell, and as they're kind of walking through the Galactica, he gets checked out real hard by uh, Petty Officer Anastasia. I didn't know she even had a first name there, but uh, Duala, and she's played by Candice McClure, and she is absolutely breaking neck on him. And while I appreciate the sentiment, I don't feel like Billy is really somebody worthy of the neck snapping that Dee gave him. <laughs>
2: No.
1: <laughs> I mean, everyone has their own tastes, but when you compare what what D eventually marries, it is a little bit surprising.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh,
1: she okay. has a a very broad spectrum of taste, I guess.
0: Yeah, she's she,
1: not a bad looking guy, but yeah.
0: Yeah, he's a handsome dweeby guy, I suppose. If you want to go with that ex- mm-hmm. kind of explanation, but yeah, definitely not what I would picture. Like her being like, "Damn, look at that." <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'd be more inclined to believe it too if it weren't for her uh her later marriage.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh Billy ends up getting lost and ends up in the bathroom and then runs into Lola again and he's uh let's say a little obviously smitten as you know she's sitting there washing washing up in her bra and he's just like uh 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 hi 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 nerd <laughs> hi hi hi. And kind of the cool thing here is they just have a shared bathroom. It is much like, Franny, as you are uh, so much of a fan of Starship Troopers there, where they just have the shared restrooms, basically, with no real mention of it being a thing.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, I I don't see what the big deal is.
1: I don't either. I think unisex bathrooms just, they, they are a bathroom. What does it matter? Yeah. And I mean, like my last time that I worked in an office, it was so infuriating to me because I, I sat like 10 feet away from the men's room, whereas I had to walk to the entire opposite end of the building to go to the women's room. And I'm like, why do I even care? I'm just going in there to
4: piss.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know,
4: it's Just kind of silly.
1: It is.
0: I will be the first to admit I normally, you know, overnight uh, while the stores closed, I will normally use the women's room because it's normally a lot cleaner.
1: Oh, that's the opposite experience I've had. Uh, yeah. Back in my days of retail, uh, I mean, maybe it's because I worked at a Joanne Fabrics and, well, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I had a, we had one ma- one male manager and there was one time I walked out of the men's room and he just looked at me like, okay. I'm like, have you gone in our women's restroom? And he shakes his head. He's like, no. I'm like. Do it one time. You'll see why I
4: come out of the men's room. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I think that might just be more like Joanne Fabrics. There's a lot more women who go to that store. So it's just which one gets used more, I guess.
1: Uh, We had very filthy people that came in. Oh, fair. Yeah. (laughs) It, It wasn't just that it was used more. It was that it was disgusting. I'll leave it up to imaginations, but there isn't too much to imagine.
0: Okay, yeah, let's let's move on. No, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, geez, guys, I don't know how we got off track here. <laughs> anyway, so, I, oh, I know how. Anyway, uh, yeah, my, my, my fault. I got distracted. All right, I'm the one who probably distracted us <laughs> to that point. But anyway, so uh, Rosalind and Adama are talking. Um, Rosalind accused Adama of being afraid of computers, but he says he does not want network computers on the Galactica basically out of respect for all the people that have died previously in the War of the Cylons and that the Galactica is going to be the way it was before. And he says as long as he's commander of this ship that he won't allow network computers, which is also kind of weird because he's set to retire pretty soon. So it's not like that is going to hold out for very long if, you know, uh, everything didn't happen the way it happened.
1: That might have also kind of been his point in telling her that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's talking about how it's going to become an educational experience and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, well, as long as I'm around, it's going to stay as it is. And the under undertone there is, look, you'll get your way just until I retire. It's not happening.
0: Oh, OK. No, OK. You know, what? I never actually didn't think of it that way. That makes a lot of sense that way. Yeah. Just Adama kind of putting his uh, foot down and be like, well, I'm here. No afterwards. Sure. I can't stop you. But yeah, no, that does make a lot of sense. <laughs> So then uh, Apollo comes down to the brig to meet Starbuck and asks what the charge was this time, and this is uh, another part where I I feel like Starbuck can be, as uh, Vanessa said, uh, very abrasive, but I find her kind of charming in a lot of senses, where she says, striking a superior asshole. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I kind of I dig that there, so... Uh, Starbuck brings up the funeral of Zach, which is uh, Dama's other son and Lee's brother, and then asks how Adama's doing. Apollo blames his father for his brother's death, and then Starbuck says, you should go. I'm getting the urge to hit another superior asshole. Then she goes back to doing push-ups, basically. Oh,
1: Starbuck. And I love the fact that you can take that superior asshole in two different ways, too. And the fact that they are her superior officers, and she's calling them assholes. And she's also admitting herself that she's an asshole, but they are the bigger ones. Yes.
0: Yes. I I did enjoy that. That's a nice, very nice choice in dialogue there. Yes. Guys, I like Battlestar very, very much. (laughs) I really like the show. And
1: the smirk that she has when she says it, too. Oh, yeah. Just
0: that look of like, go fuck off, asshole. Yes.
1: Her (laughs) actress is just phenomenal in that role. And yeah, I like the show a lot, too. It's okay.
0: (laughs) She's in another show that, like, I want to I don't remember what it is, but now I'm like, anything she's in, I kind of want to check out. Like, anything Katie Sackhoff's in, now, after the way she, like, just nailed Starbuck, I really kind of want to check out. Because she is, I, I, I'm hoping that wasn't a fluke with Starbuck, but she seems like she's an incredible actress.
1: I haven't yeah. seen anything else that she's in. Yeah. But, yeah, she nailed that role perfectly. Even when her role gets a little weird, she still portrays it perfectly.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, back to Caprica. Uh, Six is sitting in a chair in Gaius' bedroom and kind of wakes him up. Uh, <laughs> he's in bed with another woman. And so obviously it doesn't... There, there is a saying, show me a man who's married to the hottest woman on the face of the earth and I will show you a man who is tired of having sex with the hottest woman on earth. That's kind of the uh, the thing you get with Gaius. is Gaius is just like, he treats people as just things to be thrown away when he's done with them, basically. And I think he feels like he got his use out of Six. Or maybe this has been going on for quite a while yeah he's a terrible person yeah absolutely yep. all, all, all around <laughs> he is an absolute shit but then there are some instances too where you get things happen and then you're kind of like I want to say you can kind of relate to him but you're like I would probably act the same way unfortunately like you like to think you'd be stoic and brave or whatever like like a lot of the military people are but then I see a lot of the survival instincts kick in and I'm like I'd probably be more like Gaius in this situation than I would be Adama
1: yeah but I really hope that you wouldn't be as weaselly about it as he is
0: no, unfortunately, I'm not intelligent enough to be that Weasley. If I had to, be. <laughs> that's the, that's the problem. Like to save my own skin, there I wouldn't be like oh oh oh, you know, something like I'd just be like uh 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 uh. That'd be more my reaction. So, uh, so guys kind of gives some spiel about him being sorry, and Six really ain't having it. guys again, he's not just a genius, but he's good with people, and he's got a personality, sort of a larger than life thing, and he. Not only, like, smart, like, intellectually, but he's also, like, smart emotionally knowing how to manipulate people, making him just, like, the perfect asshole, effectively. He's the smartest guy in the room at all times, and he knows it, and he knows how to use that to his advantage, which is kind of a shitty trait. But, you know, normally if you're the smartest guy in the room, you kind of want that person to be like, no, no, maybe we should try this instead, not, like manipulate people and just yeah anyway <laughs> so uh let's go back to the galactica here weasley uh tour guide here geeky tour guide here greets apollo and asks uh, for some pictures with him and adama for the press and um everyone that is taking the picture can tell that this is incredibly awkward adama does a good job of faking it but apollo's very looks very like uh, get away from me <laughs> adama tries to get apollo to talk to him apollo really Isn't interested in having a heart to heart though, and he accuses Adama of pulling some strings to get Zach through flight school, and that's why he's dead. Adama, I didn't really remember this part happening so early, as far as the revelation as to what happened with Zach, but uh, knowing what I know now, like this happening this way, Adama seeming to kind of skirt any fault for it, and. was sort of not a revelation, but, like, I didn't really pay it much mind my first watching, but the second watching now, knowing what happens there, it's like, oh, okay. So that's why he's not really responding with, like, it's not my fault, this is the... He's just kind of screwing around the issue of whose fault it actually is.
1: Because as far as he's aware, there is no one actually at fault for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I do wonder if Adama actually knows who's at fault and just is not protecting the other person, will say? Well,
1: when that's actually revealed, he seems appalled and surprised by it.
0: Oh, okay. Apollo or Adama? Adama. Adama, okay. I, I, okay, so yeah, you're further ahead than I am, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of watching this as we go, so I have a, not, I'm not trying to jump ahead too, too much, but I didn't remember mm-hmm. that, so okay, cool. All right, anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, Apollo's not backing down on it, and then face it, you killed him. It's like, ooh, that's... I don't care how bad of a relationship you have. When you say something like that, that is uh, that is the end of the conversation. I'm I'm actually kind of amazed like Adama didn't just wheel off and like sock him, you know?
1: Adama's got more control than most people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: That's why he's the boss.
0: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> very, very well said. Yeah. And then he dismisses him. Just dismissed. And just kind of walks off. It's like, ooh, boy. <laughs> so back to Caprica. Uh, Six starts explaining to Gaius that she's a Cylon he doesn't really believe her and then she kind of rebuts that by saying it flatters him that out of the billions of people she picked him and he realizes like how much access he actually gave her by giving her access to the defense mainframe this is where Gaius goes into self-preservation mode and wants to know who would know of his involvement and yeah he you know he talks about it being treason and he could be hanged or killed for this and The line that's incredibly chilling, in a few hours, as he's calling his lawyer, in a few hours, no one will be left to charge you with anything.
3: It's like,
0: oh, (laughs) boy. (laughs) That's uh, very telling as to what we're about to see go down here. Back to the Galactica, we're starting off the decommissioning ceremony, and we watch the flyover of the Vipers, with a nice nod to the original show of the original show's theme song playing, it's not the first time it happened. I think part of the... I had read that um, the music when Gaius was on TV was also part of that. So they do make some nods to the original series. I don't know if it continues on throughout the series, but in the miniseries, they did try to throw in a little bit of nods to the original show.
1: They do. Uh, it's primarily using the original theme in music when things are going on, which makes me happy because the original series had such a better theme song than this. That is like the one thing that the original Battlestar Galactica has loads better than this particular version of the story.
0: Yeah. The theme song for this is very new agey kind of hippie feeling. And that was actually done by a different composer than the rest of the soundtrack or most of the soundtrack. Most of the soundtrack was done by Bear McCreary and Mm -hmm. he's, let's say um very prolific in his music uh production and i really i dig a lot of the stuff he does for the series as a whole but he did not do the theme song and i kind of agree like there are times i'm kind of like this theme song does not really fit with the show very well
1: i mean i can understand why they chose it, it starts out kind of ethereal and then goes into that very tribal guitaral type music mm-hmm. And it does kind of fit with the overall, the overall story, really. But yeah, it just the original series had a much better theme song, and I'm so happy that the composer who did the general music for the show utilized that song multiple times. But doing it over the flybys and all that was just perfect and like almost goosebumpsy.
0: See, and I didn't know the theme song, but I heard that and I was like, I guarantee you that is a nod to the first show, just because the, the complete different tone that it had mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the music. Like, that's got to be a nod.
1: As somebody who was familiar enough with the original series to know exactly what that music was the first time I heard it. Yeah, that was that was goosebumpsy to
0: me. <laughs> All right. So uh, Doro brings up Adama, who finally gets to do his speech. He gets to where he kept getting interrupted in the opening sequence and then. I think he kind of goes off script here a little bit, and then wonders, which is a little weird, and comes back to play here. I think in this, or yeah, in the second episode of the miniseries, uh, if people are actually worth saving, uh, forcing our past sins on our children, including the Cylons, and goes into I don't want to say almost like an existential crisis of sorts on stage there that he keeps very cool, calm, and collected about, but just this very like sad, almost remorseful speech.
2: I would say speech giving may not be Adama's strong point about half the time in this series. Like half the time, it's like fine. And the other half it's like, I don't
0: know where you're going with that. <laughs> I don't know. The, at the end of the uh, second episode of this, he does a pretty, uh, does, does a pretty good one.
2: One of two.
0: Okay. One of two. <laughs> maybe it's a, maybe it's more of a, maybe he's better at the battle cries of sorts, basically than an actual speech. Well, he's a military
4: man. Yeah, yeah. He is an old soldier. And, the speech that he was giving was really on the decommissioning of the Battlestar. So it's just kind of like the end of an era. I mean, when your time is over, you, you generally get kind of existential crisis
0: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that would make sense because it does. He's seen what he considers sort of his military career in that ship being tossed to the side effectively. I mean, when you're when the ship you've been in charge of for years literally is becoming a museum not just a museum piece, but a museum, I'm sure it does take a little bit of the um, wind out of your sails. Yeah. You know? So back to Caprica, Gaius is watching the news as the channels go offline, as the bombs go off, um, which is, yeah, a nice, I don't want to say a nice little touch, but just this like, oh, boy, okay, shit is really happening here. He asks what Six's escape plan is, and then a bomb goes off close by. Uh, she explains she can't die, and how her memory is going to get uploaded, and and, you know, Gaius is having this, like, well, how does that work? Sort of, you you have to have an escape plan. You're not just going to get yourself blown up here. And this is where Six finally introduces herself as Six. And she tells him to get down so he won't get killed. And then we kind of zoom out to the planet, showing multiple nuclear explosions going off all over the place. And it's just like, oh, boy, this this isn't good. So my thought is either the Cylons had all these nuclear devices that they just launched or they, since they were in the defense mainframe, they are just using all of the nukes that the humans have against them, basically, just making them explode.
2: I would say the second. It's like Rise of the Machines, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it
2: as well.
0: Although they do seem to shoot a lot of nukes off, too, but they're smaller nukes compared to the ones that uh, the humans have just kind of laying about there. So I wonder if that's been the only deterrence, really, for the silos doing a full-on invasion without getting into the defense mainframe of in a way, is the fact that they have these gigantic nukes that are just kind of ready to go at any given moment. And, yeah, it's been sort of the only thing keeping them at bay. And now that they can kind of get away with uh, just getting around those things, it's like, okay, well, all bets are off now. You guys are done.
2: Well, I think the silence too were going for, like, you know, like elimination, right? They weren't like, we don't want to start a war. We want to end the war.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
2: that's why they spent all this time developing, like, human-looking uh, robots
0: yeah, very true. Much better than the T eight hundred models of the Terminators, where they're skin jobs and not very convincing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as as much as I love Terminator, the uh, you know the, Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger as a as a human being sometimes in those movies is a little like, okay, no one's gonna believe you're a human for very long, dude. <laughs> and then you find out, yeah. oh wait, yeah, he he actually is a human. Never mind.
1: <laughs> Whereas the Cylons surprise everyone when you find out, oh my gosh, they're a Cylon. <laughs>
0: so much so that they even surprise themselves sometimes. Exactly. Right. All right, back to the Galactica. Uh, Gaeta calls Adama to let him know about the attacks. Uh, call goes out for action stations, which I love just the action stations. Just Oh, I don't know. I'm... Uh, if, Franny, you and I had talked about this last week while well, not recording a podcast, but I'm very much a, like a peacenick of, you know, I'm, I'm, like very much like I want money to go to social programs and stuff, but a lot of the military stuff is just really cool to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh this is like it kinda get kinda gets me like going here. I'm like, oh this is this is cool. I want to see this. But at the same time, you know, just think of like all oh, the money they dumped into these things and they could be bettering people's lives with.
4: Yeah. But they are really cool. Like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like I, I too, would like a lot more money to go towards social programs and things, but there is definitely a cool factor. I just wish it didn't kill people.
1: I agree with both of you. (laughs) Like,
4: I don't know if, if any of you are old enough to know this, but there used to be an old cartoon show called Dino Riders. yes. And they shot lasers at everything. Mm -hmm. And it was great because the lasers would cause these great explosions and like rocks would be like exploding and things. But, you know, when the lasers hit the dinosaurs, it was just kind of like a mild discomfort, like "Eh, (laughs) that was discomforting.
1: (laughs) I do remember that show, but I did not watch it. Now I wish I had. <laughs> I want those lasers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I watched that a few. Uh, I watched that a few years ago, like the first couple of episodes. And you know what? Pilot's okay. The rest of it's like a little cheesy. But then you're like, oh, you know, it's still dinosaurs with lasers on them shooting each other. It's pretty cool. Can't really, can't really complain with that. <laughs> right.
4: Like so. Like the battles in Battlestar Galactica were really the best part, I think, of everything. Because mostly, I I'm not really too into like shipping or anything. Mm-hmm. And all the relationship stuff was kind of a mess. And uh, I, I was, you know, when I watch it, I watch it, it was like, oh wow, look at those shiny ships, look at those <laughs> like, little maneuvering thrusters. And I was like, those are so cute.
0: <laughs> this was before you got on, but I, I brought up like might be one of my favorite names out of any like starship. It's just a battle star. Just the implications of that name. It's just like you don't even need to see it. You're like, that's going to be a cool ship.
1: Honestly, it sounds even more badass than a dust star
0: yeah,
4: yeah. i actually, I actually thought it was like a kind of an allusion to like a battleship, mm-hmm. and then I thought about that movie, that terrible movie battleship <laughs> <laughs> and that was also a museum and i was like this is this is just modern day, right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, thankfully it's not based on a video game, so Vanessa and I don't have to watch it, right?
3: Thank
0: God. <laughs> Thank God. Based on a board game. The, the day we have to start getting into board game adaptations into, into movies, then we're in trouble. But thankfully, I don't think we're anywhere near that. So anyway, moving on. Here, so. You two are masochists, I uh. swear. Hey,
2: <laughs> anyway, man, Cl- Clue is still one of my favorite movies of
0: all
2: time. Clue is a great one.
0: Might but... be the only great one. <laughs>
4: so good.
0: Anyway, uh, so here we, uh, we go to the uh, the flight deck crew mentions that they don't have any ammo to load. So Ty thinks the fleet is playing a joke on Adama as a, like, a retirement prank, basically. And Adama just kind of looks at him like, I don't think so. Like, this is a little too elaborate to be just a joke that they're playing on me, you know? So Adama goes to, over the intercom to let the rest of the crew know that they're under attack. Adama goes into battle mode and just, XO, if we're going to war, we're going to need something to shoot. I'm like, yeah, Adama, you get it, buddy. It's like, okay. (laughs) It's like, Adama is in his element right now. It's like, oh, there's some shit going down. I got it. I'm calm, cool, collected. Let's take this thing down. So the Galactica's Viper Squadron goes out and Boomer and Hilo are in their raptor, which effectively sort of acts as a, um, like, a reconnaissance vehicle that sort of can defend itself, but it's not really meant for combat.
4: Yeah, like an AWACS.
0: Yeah, there you go. Except the AWAC is pretty defenseless, isn't it?
4: It is. It is. So it's it's like a more defensive. It has it has. I think AWACS even like though it is defensive, still does have things like chaff and flares. So I mean, yeah, you have you have defenses. You just don't have missiles.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, the Raptor can be a little bit more offensive than that, but not really meant to do that. It's more more meant to like, oh, okay, well, if I can shoot this guy out of the sky, I should be okay. But. Yeah. It, it is
4: interesting, though, that like a lot of these, any sort of like military type shows always do have that distinction between like a fighter and like an AWACS. Like they, they always have to have like it, you can't be like the all encompassing. I can do everything type of ship. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen a lot of those like they, they definitely have their roles.
0: Yeah, I think the closest thing that I can really think of is. Maybe even like an X Wing because they have like pretty good sensors on them, but you know, that's a completely different universe here. And also, the X Wing is one of my favorite like starship designs ever. I I, I adore the X Wing's look. I don't know why. I just always have. Maybe I'm just a basic bitch in that sense. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it also could be because I played like TIE Fighter and X Wing a lot as a kid. So it's just sort of one of those things that I'm like, yeah, I love that thing. Anyway, uh, so the Raptor is acting as recon for the Vipers. Starbuck comes to the bridge and. The Again, another thing that cements her as an asshole, and I also adore her for, she taps her cheek as she walks by Ty. Just kind of looks at him like, hey, how's that Shiner looking, buddy?
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. Starbuck. I know. <laughs> I love her.
0: Uh, so Starbuck uh, brings up that they have pilots that are climbing up the walls, but no fighters. And then Adama, I seem to recall an entire squadron on the starboard hangar yesterday. It's like, oh, just that. Like I said, just just sounds like he's been gargling glass, that voice, just like so commanding and just authoritative. You're like, oh, OK, doesn't need to say specifically what she needs to do, but just like, oh, yeah, OK, duh. Yeah, I'll, I'll go take care of that. The fighters are museum pieces, quite literally, and they're still ready to go, but need to get over to the port launch bay. Starboard side is a uh, gift shop now. And uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I love that line, too.
0: Yeah, yeah that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. And that's just one of those instances it's a gift where, shop. yeah, it's a gift shop. And then, you know, um, what's her name? Uh, Starbucks. that just frack me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love the term. I love the, I love the frack term so good.
0: <laughs> and I didn't realize that was in the original series, but they didn't use it as a, um, you know, interchangeable with fuck basically. Like it was just sort of a, a cute little thing. I think one of the, one of the characters said basically. And they just sort of ran whole hog with it for this one, so... Anyway, uh, Duala or D goes over battlefield communications with Gaeta. Battlestars seem to be losing power just before coming into contact with the Cylons, so it kind of gives you an indication of, like, just how badly this is going to be going very quickly here. So then we cut back to the Viper Squadron, and the CAG, which, um, who is Major Jackson Spencer, don't get too attached to him, uh, has Helo and Boomer nope. pulled back. <laughs> As the Vipers approach, the silent ships open up a hatch and a red light runs through it. Uh, and this is where, uh, bringing up the soundtrack, this is my favorite stuff. Is just those, like, the heavy percussion war drum things going on there. Just incredibly tribal. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I adore uh, Bear, Bear McCreary's work on that stuff. Just the... It's like, oh, boy, oh, boy, I dig this stuff. I love
4: the juxtaposition between the, the high-tech fighters mm-hmm. and like the low-tech war drums like it's just a great yes. combination yeah
0: yeah and if he just put out an album of just the instances where he did like the war drum stuff i would probably buy that but instead I'm, <laughs> i'd have to go through every single soundtrack and purchase them and find them individually but yeah anyway so after that uh, red light kind of goes through the vipers all lose power and then kind of start bumping into each other and just before uh, the, let's say, killing blow happens, this gives you a nice sense of like just how desperate their situation is going to be here. And the cyclone ships just open up and take out the vipers. And then you, I kind of put myself in the CAG's seat there for a second and just imagining like watching your death come to you with you being able to literally do nothing but watch it heading towards you. Just, oh God, that's got to be rough.
4: Mm-hmm. I did. Think- it was very strange that they were so surprised that they had no cockpits because it was like, well, they're robots. Like, why would you even expect them to have a cockpit? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is true. I, 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 um, I don't get it.
4: Like, we have drones now. So, like, it's kind of like, hello. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's because
1: the older uh, Cylons in the war that they allude to as being 40 years prior the, those Cylons did still pilot their ships uh, it, it is really weird though that considering the fact that even the colonists had unmanned drones and such they didn't think of the idea that oh the Cylons could easily build a ship that doesn't need
2: a pilot and uh-huh. just has the AI built right into it hmm. <laughs> I'm like mostly just confused about why the human race was so unprepared for this like what do they think the Cylons were doing this entire time i guess they thought they were just going the opposite direction
1: yeah
0: (laughs) i mean you know they did leave basically to you know find a home for themselves so i'm wondering if they just like kind of figured like oh okay well they found a place and you know we'll just keep this you know armistice station kind of there in case they ever want to talk or something like that and that does seem kind of like oh we've got these machines we created to be incredibly intelligent and built for war as well. And we're just going to go ahead and assume that the things we created aren't going to be vengeful and want to come back and wipe us out so they can take what we have.
1: It was very naive, but also the Cylons were the ones who broke it off in the last war also. So.
0: Probably realizing that, oh, you know what? If we just bide our time, we can go ahead and take care of this and we'll have a lot less losses and a lot less uses of resources.
1: Well, later in the series they tell you why they
0: stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Anyway, uh, let's move on here, so. Uh, <laughs> Rosalind comes back from the bathroom and asks Billy what's going on, and then Apollo tells the captain that the ship that Apollo basically has on there wasn't meant for combat. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a little not troubling that Apollo's got a ship that, uh, you know, is literally, like, one of the only ones that's gonna continue to work after the Cylons go ahead and attack it, <laughs> but it's got no weapons, so, yeah, it's not really, uh, but at the same time, the Battlestar doesn't have any ammunition to shoot so when you have something like a Battlestar with no ammo it's like okay I guess the little Viper wouldn't have it either but then that yeah anyway so Boomer and Hilo are evading the Cylons and then there's that music again just that heavy percussion and they take a hit Hilo seals the hole and they have to go back to Caprica they decide they're gonna cruise there which uh was a nice little um idea because you know the less energy they're using they're probably just gonna come across as uh, as Hilo said um when he brought it up to Boomer that, yeah, this is a, that's a good idea. It's, we're going to come across as a piece of debris as they're kind of going off, drifting towards Caprica. We see the wreckage of ships, including at least one Battlestar, And just seeing one of those ships destroyed, just kind of broke my heart. I was like, Oh, oh yeah. God, I adore that design too. It's one of those ships now that I kind of want one to put on my desk, but at the same time, like all the models I've seen that are a little expensive and I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. So anyway, uh, Adama breaks the news about a fifty megaton nuke going off over Caprica City. Uh, just just for a little reference here, uh, Hiroshima is fifteen kilotons. So a little perspective. Meaning that is three thousand three hundred and thirty three times more powerful than that, with a blast radius of five hundred miles. Mm. That is, I mean, just wiping out like literal like states, not just you know a city. Like you are... You are wiping everything off the face of the Earth, with, or off the face of Caprica, I suppose, with those. So uh, nukes are reported on the other planets as well, with 7 million people in Caprica City, which, for being the biggest city on Caprica, seems a little light.
2: I mean, they've got many other planets, so they, they don't need to like, overpopulate like we do.
0: Oh, true. Fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Yeah, that's... Uh, we, we, we just have this
2: one, Jason. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: yeah, they do have 12 planets they can spread out on. Okay, never mind. Yep, you're right.
2: They have a little bit more
1: land.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you can see, there's a lot of open land, too, later on that somehow people okay. survive through. Anyway, uh, so Rosalind <laughs> goes to the cockpit to confirm the attacks. Uh, she reads the report and then offers to kind of break the news to the passenger and ask the captain to get in touch with the defense department to see what they can do to help. Rosalind kind of starts taking charge here, and this is where you really start seeing, like, Rosalind has a good leadership quality to her. You sort of just saw her as, like, a, I don't want to say a nobody for a little while, but you really see, like, the inner strength she has and that she was kind of, like, meant to lead here. Doral, the, you know, a wishy-washy, dorky tour guide-ass, who put her in charge? And she just kind of comments that this is a uh, political ship and she's the head politician here. So she did, basically. It's like, oh, well, screw you, buddy. You just got smacked right in your place. <laughs> so she asks about surrendering to the Secretary of Defense. And he tells her that the president already offered unconditional surrender after Pycon was nuked, one of the colonies, to no response. And then the captain sees missiles incoming, and we change over to the music again with the heavy percussion, and then... In a badass move, Apollo gets in front of the missiles to lead it away from the ship and then shoots it out of space. I thought he said it wasn't meant for combat, but apparently he has some bullets in there, so I don't really know what happened there, but whatever. Maybe it's a little oversight, or maybe I just misinterpreted it. So after he shoots the missile, it goes black, which I think is a little bit of a nod that it's um, like a small like tactical nuke, maybe, and it was just like an EMP that sort of knocked him out.
2: nobody
0: knows <laughs> okay yeah we'll just move on you're, you're, you're guys
2: as good as
1: ours okay as cool work. i was actually about to ask did i get disconnected okay yeah i was
0: gonna, I was gonna say guys hello hello anyway yeah, your,
2: your thoughts on um uh you know weaponology of uh, about star galactic are as good as ours <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay fair, fair fair all right so back to caprica we see multiple mushroom clouds as boomer works on getting the raptor back up helo sees survivors coming to them including gaius and cut back to space. This is We're going to kind of cut back and forth here a little bit. We see Apollo getting his ship onto Rosalind's ship. I don't really know how he managed that because it was out of commission for the time, but whatever. Anyway.
2: Yeah, don't, don't ask questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of those that I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so Doral approaches him about someone else needs to be in charge, and Apollo asks, what happened to your captain? And then he kind of like just, he's not the one giving orders. So they go up to the passenger area, and Rosalind is trying to help pick up survivors, and You can tell she's just got a handle on everything and Apollo agrees that uh, she should be in charge because she's doing a fine job. It's like, yeah, yeah, Mm. no. And I think that's another thing, too. Like, Apollo, having come up under Adama, he recognizes strong leadership when he sees it and just sort of sees that and just is like, okay, no, she can handle this. This is fine. Nobody needs to be in charge here but her. She she clearly has things under control. So she did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that is one thing I appreciate here is that Apollo just has like no qualms whatsoever about going along with strong leadership military or not if he recognizes somebody's a strong leader and sees that they maybe not necessarily have better ideas than him but clearly have a you know a good handle on what's going on that or that he just sort of goes along with it okay no clearly you know what you're doing i'm just going to go ahead and go along and if you need me to help i'll help right and back to caprica people trying to bribe boomer and hilo to let them on it's like at this point guys i don't think money's going to do you any good i don't don't, (laughs) think yeah it's like okay yeah so Boomer agrees to let the children on board, and then they do a lottery letting survivors on. And this, obviously, is going to go very, very well. <laughs> so we're going to go back to the Galactica here. They launch the Vipers, and I like how they just kind of get catapulted out. There's no, you know, screaming starship thing. It's just all just inertia, basically forcing them off the deck. It's pretty cool. The Starbucks ship has something wrong with it. Multiple aborts. And Adama, like, you can tell, he just seems totally at peace here at war, which is a weird thing to say, but you can tell this man is just very comfortable in battle, which makes you wonder how long he's been in the military if he was in the Cylon Wars and that was 40 plus years ago.
2: Right. How long do humans in this uh, this uh, timeline live? Are these like 200 year old humans or are these normal humans? Yeah, that's very <laughs> true. Human. They
1: imply it's normal.
0: Normal humans. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs>
2: so most of his
1: life. Yeah. And when you see the flashbacks to the first war, he's like Apollo's age, so... Maybe younger. So it's implied that he like joined right out of high school.
0: Yeah, he was a a literal lifer, you know, where some people like, oh, I'll put in my 20, 25 years. Like, no, he's just doing this till basically he's just well at this point. Yeah, dust. So, yeah. And I love here where Starbuck is just so pissed off as she's hearing like the combat comms chatter while she's still on the flight deck and once she finally gets out there uh, you know again that heavy percussion just hitting right there just that oh god those war drums man I, I I know I keep bringing it up every time but holy shit I adore the battle music in this thing <laughs> Starbuck just gets in the fight uh, notices the red light that, that shut down the other Vipers but it doesn't affect these because again they're all analog and museum pieces uh, Starbuck takes out two of the three nukes that get shot at the Galactica out and one gets through and just this lying here praise for God my friend I
3: haven't heard that in no.
0: <laughs> and then nice little timing there for a commercial break as the uh, new kits the galactica you can kind of tell this was made for tv at some times <laughs> it's like oh okay that'll keep you waiting yeah they're,
2: they're, they're timed okay
0: yeah <laughs> so starwick reports on the damage as she flies by uh, adama and Ty go over the damage reports uh, adama has Ty take command of some of it so he can handle other things and he looks you know looks at him saying you're either the xo or you're not I just, oh, God, man. I I, I really adore uh, Edward James almost in this thing. He's just so 100% sure of himself in this thing.
1: And he yeah. plays the role beautifully. Mm-hmm.
0: Ty is listening in on the fire reports that Chief Tyrell is getting and kind of seems to be hesitating, looks back at Adama, and then looks back at the report thing and then tells them to seal off the compartments and vent them. Tyrell argues because he has at least 100 people still in there and. Uh, this is where I don't envy people in command a lot of the times because they just, you know, Tyrell's, they just need a minute. It's like, we don't have a minute. If the fire reaches the hangar pods, it'll ignite the field lines and we'll lose the whole ship. Do it! It's like, Ooh, okay, wow. So uh, Ty vents the compartments and the people go flying out into space and, you know, um, yeah. It, the line after that is, no one's a rookie anymore. It's like, eh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah nobody... <sighs> anyway, that, that that was a pretty rough scene because, like I said, you see some of the bodies go, like just being jettisoned out into space, and it's like, oh, boy, okay. Well, there we go. So, back to Caprica. Um, now, we have the lottery. Uh, they call 47, and it's not Gaius. An old woman asks Gaius to read her ticket. Gee, I wonder if she might have 47. <laughs> and <laughs> this is where you start seeing some of the smarmy little shit that Gaius can be. Helo recognizes Gaius, and he's kind of looking at him a little funny. Gaius kind of takes it as a Oh, he's looking at me because he thinks I'm doing something shifty here. And he kind of basically says, oh, this woman here, she's got it. She's got it. Trying to be civil. Basically thinks he's been found out that he's going to lie and take the seat. But Hilo ends up giving his seat to Gaius anyway. And then Boomer isn't really fond of the idea, which I can understand. But Hilo kind of argues that humanity needs Gaius more than him. And the line, look at those clouds and tell me this isn't the end of everything. It's like, oh, that's that's a pretty powerful line there.
1: Yep. I know when we watched that recently, Tim was criticizing. If you could see those clouds, you're already dead. And I'm like, sweetie, this is, yes, this is a exactly different universe <laughs> where they do have anti-radiation medications that work.
2: <laughs> also, would it be dramatic if they were already dead? Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You do have to suspend uh, reality for a little bit of this. I mean, also, there is gigantic spaceships fighting robots. So, you know, maybe cut it a little break.
1: They also have no explanation for how they have gravity.
0: Very true. Um, yeah. Don't need it, right? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so guy sees six in the crowd, and she kind of disappears for a second. A man jumps onto the raptor as Boomer lifts off, and Hilo just straight, like, caps his ass. Just, boom! <laughs> it's like, ooh, boy, okay. Hilo, don't, Hilo, uh, Hilo ain't fucking around with that.
2: Well, he warned him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> true. Back into space, Rosalind, Apollo, and the two pilots hear a radio call for case orange which actually is every government official putting in a code and seeing who's the new president Rosalind puts in her code and as apollo and Rosalind are talking about where she is in line which is the 43rd in line for succession you kind of think like oh there's no way and then the captain comes out and um guess what uh yeah she's the she's she's the only survivor basically she's at least the 43rd person surviving so it's like oh Okay, so she gets sworn in as president of the colony. So this character I thought was going to be a very minor character at first. I just all of a sudden is in charge of humanity. It's like, oh, and
1: in our world, that would be Betsy Davos.
0: Could you oh. imagine
1: how well we'd survive in that situation? Uh, I th- like to think that she would be dead. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I really think she would. She but... does not seem capable of of surviving an attack by silence.
0: <laughs> think or hope, Vanessa, or both. both. Yes. I'm I'm kind of right there with you. So the at the uh, we go back to the Galactica, and then Tyrell sees the aftermath of the venting. Adama and Ty go over the dead and, and where they can get ammo. Tyrell questions Ty's decision to Adama, um, you know, saying he lost eighty-five people and he only needed forty seconds. And Tyrell, I think, in a sort of in a moment of familiarity with Commander Adama, says, "I told that son of a bitch." And then Adama just immediately gives him a hard look and gets right up in Tyrell's face and he made a tough decision if it was me I would have made the same one resume your post chief it's like <laughs> just kind of as I said before just Adama is very good at being you know a great leader and then just putting people in their place when he needs to without being an asshole about it so they figure out where the nearest ammo depot is and it's a three day trip with all of the Cylons between them and the ammo they talk about doing a manual FTL jump And they bring up, like, you know, even being off by a couple of degrees, they could end up in the middle of the sun and Adama's line of no choice. It's like, well, (laughs)
2: yeah,
0: it's like, well, I guess we're doing this right. Yeah. You want to fight the sounds
2: or you want to die the other other way? (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's like, well, we can we can take our chances one way or the other. It's like the other way we are guaranteed death. The other way we have a chance at least fighting back gives the report to Adama that Admiral Nagala is dead and the Battlestar Atlantia, among many others, have been destroyed. Adama is now the highest ranking officer in the fleet and decides he's going to take command. So, if I'm remembering right, they said they've lost a third of the fleets in one attack. That is kind of astounding how quickly, just, it gives you a good sense of like how quickly this fleet is just getting decimated and how dire the human situation is at this point. The Cylons were on top of it, the humans were not on top of it. No. (laughs) So we go back to Rosalind's ship, uh, which is now Colonial One, is picking up survivors. Apollo gets a wire about Adama taking control of the fleet and that he wants all ships to basically go to him. Rosalind tells Apollo to report to Adama and let him know that she's in the middle of a rescue operation and he is to report to her to assist. I'm like, (laughs) and, you know, that comes directly from the president of the 12 colonies, and it's not a request Adama radios Apollo and awkwardly trying to make sure he's okay. You can tell he's not very good at uh, being um, human to his own son at times, which is, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Apollo says he acknowledges the receipt of the orders, and but kind of tells him, like, you know, the president's uh, supersedes yours, so sorry. And I do like Adama's reaction here. Of, We're talking about the secretary of education. We're in the middle of a war, and you're taking orders <laughs> from a schoolteacher? <laughs> it's like, yeah... <laughs>
2: Yeah, this is a pretty good conversation. I also like how um, how Lee says, like, uh, acknowledge, acknowledge the receipt. You know, he, like, uh, makes it uh, nice and dramatic there for a minute. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just that, just a, enough of a pause. Like, yeah, I got you. But.
2: <laughs> exactly. But.
0: <laughs> so uh, a couple Cylon fighters are picked up on the Dradus, which is another military thing here that I love. I just love, like, the sweeping thing of it. And I guess you have to have something a little bit different than what we have for space, but. Just the sound of the Dratus, the look of it, it, I think it's just another one of those cool things that Battlestar really does well with the military stuff. Just that <laughs> thing as it's going, it's just very cool. I know I sounded more like a pigeon there than the actual Dratus. Major sound like a
3: pigeon.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, Adama yells over the radio to get out of there, then explosion goes off, and Colonial One disappears off Dratus. A 50 kiloton detonation is reported, and the silence bug out. Adama obviously is crushed. Ty grabs his shoulders to comfort him, and that's the end. That's the end of the first episode of the miniseries, and quite the ending to leave you hanging, even for a day. I mean, even in this binge society that we're in today, it's still like one of those things like, shit, I gotta get to the next episode. What happens? <laughs> yeah,
2: they're pretty good cliffhangers, these
0: guys. Yeah, the whole yeah, series is that.
1: It started out kind of slow, and then it just all picked up pace right at the end there and left you at a, a complete, like, oh my god, what what's going on here?
0: Yeah, it's, it's intense, and really, I think the intensity and importance of this moment wouldn't have been sold as well if they didn't take the time to do so little initially with this and just kind of introduce characters and introduce their relationships and dynamics with each other because getting this based on, you know, based on everything we know, I think leads to a lot more effect rather than just like, Oh, Hey, Oh, that's his son. Oh no, he might be dead. What happened? You know, instead you get these like very real humans with very like human emotions and weaknesses. And that's kind of what I dig so much about this too, outside of all the cool military stuff.
1: It's kind of weird because I think this show, in a way, sometimes suffers with poor pacing, but the poor pacing works to its benefit, if that makes any sense and somebody can <laughs> help me develop my train of thought, because it makes sense to me, mm-hmm. but I realize as I'm saying it, it just, it sometimes it just seems to move so slowly, um, and then just all of a sudden, take off like the, the first episode of the miniseries did. And that can be a little bit. um, I I don't know. Maybe it's because I watched it in a binge watching setup as opposed to a weekly thing. Uh, But sometimes it did seem to slug along because of that. Um, However, it worked overall in the series because you do get that character development that leads you to become a lot more invested when things suddenly turn sour and everything is real high stress and high paced and this is happening that's happening and that's happening all at once and you've got to take it all in and absorb what's going on as though you're actually there
0: i think i see exactly what you mean as far as that goes it's I don't want to say it's sort of like in a sense you're you're sort of saving up your stamina for like a sort of like the intermittent like sprints you have to do occasionally if you want to take it like in a running sense but that's sort of the way I feel the show does like it does feel remarkably slow and slogging at times the big crescendos of things that happen I think it really builds upon that so well that if they didn't take that time to really develop the characters and kind of pace itself out really well, I don't think it would pay off as well. No,
1: and it would also probably be Mm -hmm. too much all at once.
0: There are so many shows that I watch that is just, um, it kind of feels like that. I've complained about this, about the uh, Tomb Raider remake that came out, the, the game that came out about 2013, that it feels like one of my kids telling me a story about something exciting, except they consolidate all the interesting parts and, just, and then this happened and, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then a wolf came at me, and then I shot it, and then this guy came in to attack me, and then this, and this, and it's like, gee, okay, slow down, take a breath, give me a second to absorb everything that's happened, whereas this gives you a chance to kind of take in the, the magnitude of everything that's going on, it even gives you a sense of building up so you get some sort of payoff for these huge instances of action and and crises. So it's just those sort of things that like I really appreciate that Battlestar has done really well up to this point. And I know we're just like, you know, technically we're an hour and a half into this universe so far and it's just remarkable how well they're setting these things up. And I'm not going to say as the show goes on, there's not some uh, clunkers further down the road, but... Of course. Yeah. Th- there is no show that can possibly not have a clunker in it. I-, I I think even the most like tightly written show, even like The Wire, which is you know one of the most heralded like well-written shows on the face of the planet, has some clunkers in there. So you just sort of have to kind of take it for what it is. It is still a show that has to come out, and they do have to occasionally fill in some uh, time there just to make things work. But I think this—I uh, think the start of this miniseries is uh, a hell of a thing. Um, so, guys, just as an overall thing, uh, how do you guys feel about the first episode? Like, if this—I don't want to say like if this bombed—and they never even put out the mini or the second part of the miniseries, how would you have felt about this?
2: I would have enjoyed it I would be angry that they left me to click like a cliffhanger Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I liked uh, I liked how it picked up I liked the characters Um, yeah I mean I would have been like I obviously would have been like really angry if they were like oh okay and we just never made another episode Um, as far as like a first episode with a second guaranteed miniseries episode coming after it I would be enticed to watch the next one
1: I pretty much think the same thing. I would have been let down if we didn't have the second one because it did lend on a lead into a a definite cliffhanger there. However, I have a feeling that it would have just kind of been forgotten about. I don't think I necessarily would have dwelled on it for yeah, much more than maybe the next year. Oh, you remember that show? That was been really cool. Um, but I don't think it would have been something that I really would have lamented on long term if we Hadn't gotten more based off of just the pilot episode.
0: Yeah. Freddie, how about yourself?
4: Uh, Well, I I enjoyed it. I think if it had ended on the pilot episode, it would kind of be interpreted kind of a little differently. Mm Because then it would be much more about um, Adama and Lee rather than anybody else because it kind of ended with them, right? It kind of started with them and it kind of ended with them. Yeah. So it, it would make a nice sandwich and a, a kind of like a father-son type story rather than what it evolved to with a large cast of interweaving things.
0: Okay. Yeah.
4: I, I, I do think it's it's, it was a, I, I don't know, like I remember it just being such a big big thing like it was so cool and 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 i see that now and i and i'm watching it now and it's still very cool but it's it's also the cg is pretty dated <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think uh stephanie you could probably answer this better than me because you're further along um the cg i, I feel like improved huh? what was
1: that <laughs> i've completed it already yeah
0: yeah the cg improved as the show went on didn't it
1: Yes and no. Um, okay. you can tell they had a set budget and you can definitely tell when oh there must be something cool coming up because the the Cylons look a little funny in this episode oh, okay. <laughs> um, or hey, I'm pretty sure I saw this exact scene before for the fleet flying along oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there was definitely a CGI budget um, and it being in the early 2000s, I think, it held up fairly decently i mean you can tell it's old um but it's definitely not like going back to my all-time favorite sci-fi series of all time babylon 5 where those graphics are just like well they tried (laughs) Uh, but yeah they're they do improve uh it's just like I said, you can tell every once in a while the quality will drop and you can almost guarantee that within the next two or three episodes, there's going to be a really intense CGI scene. Um, and that's why it dropped when you just saw a random toaster walking by that looked really poorly done. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Gotta save the budget for something, right? Right. Save it for the big stuff. Yeah, I, I guess
4: that makes sense because some of the silons, even in like this episode, were just Kind of okay. But then they also had a lot of good space battles, and I was like, the space battles were really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. That is probably one of my favorite things about Battle stars just the space battles. The music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... If nothing else for the music there in those instances, because, oh boy. All right, why don't we go ahead and let's wrap up this one? This way we can get on the mini series part two here. So, um, as usual, go to, well, not as usual, because this is kind of the first time you're really listening to this at, at any sort of length, but go to uh, patreon.com slash gamesandjunk. Over there, you can support uh, this show and all the other shows we do. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any bonus stuff for this one planned at the moment, but uh, maybe eventually we can figure out something. If that's something you would be interested in, why don't you hit us up on Twitter at so say we all pod. And over there, you can throw us suggestions for stuff like that. Like if there's something you want to hear us cover, maybe we can do that and make that a Patreon bonus because I have no ideas at the moment. So, yeah, I'm kind of tapped out for ideas.
1: And remember, those suggestions don't need to be limited to Battlestar Galactica. Yes. That's just the first topic that we're doing and the first thing that we thought of to actually create a name from. But we want to cover sci-fi in general and it doesn't even need to be necessarily good sci-fi. You can make me suffer like Jason does with his bad game movies and have me sit through something terrible. I don't want to, but I'll do <laughs> it, I guess.
0: Uh, Freddie had you, me do that, yeah, actually. I, <laughs> for,
1: for the, I did watch all of Star Trek the Animated Series recently for another <laughs> podcast, and that was pretty painful. So That sounds
0: terrible. Uh, Freddie, what was the uh, movie you just had me watch called? Yeah.
4: Star Chaser, the Legend of Oren. Oh
0: God, yeah, that was um, that was something.
4: <laughs> it was a product of its time. <laughs> uh,
0: that that is a very um, that's a very nice way of putting it. Yes, it, it certainly it is. It's a
4: terrible Star Wars ripoff, animated. Um, one of the first, I, I think they tried to make sell themselves as like the first animated movie with like computer graphics, like not CG, computer graphics um but you know it had it had nice ship designs mm-hmm. like you, you, it was, it's almost like a proto firefly it was very pretty um the story was crap characters <laughs> are crap very fascinating man because these were droids that tried to like have like they they envied humanity like they wanted to become human but at the same time like thought humans were lesser than themselves so it was very fascinating they only showed up for like 10 minutes it was great though
0: yeah 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 you you got you, you basically sold me on watching the movie just based on that and the rest yeah, of it I, yeah it's pretty bad
4: <laughs> the whole thing was bad but those yeah. 10 minutes fascinating
0: yes absolutely <laughs> I, I want a mandroid movie i don't want, I, I don't want to see the rest of that movie that the rest of that movie was dumb
4: <laughs> it, it was it was very very dumb
0: yeah All right. So with that, um, I think that'll wrap up everything there. Um, so yeah, uh, we will be putting out the next one. I don't know when we're going to be putting these out. We're just sort of recording this in a batch basically. So we have these to kind of fall back on for a while because, uh, Stephanie's in the process of moving. Um, you know, I have three other podcasts I do. So we're just trying to get these things out there and recorded. So they are raring to go whenever we have a chance. Anybody have anything they want to plug, Vanessa? I know you and I have a, a podcast, but I—I I don't know if we really want to send people that way. Okay, you know, it's like if you enjoyed us talking about everyone's something fun, love it. yeah, everyone's going to <laughs> love you it. To if
2: you want to watch something terrible, go check out Multimedia Failure.
0: <laughs> that is a uh, hold, on, hold on. Let me go to my spiel here: a chronological exploration of every video game movie ever made, where we also rank them against each other, uh, totally not arbitrarily and absolutely scientifically. Yep. Yeah, I nailed it. Anyway. <laughs> So, uh, and as usual, um, you know, I mentioned the Patreon thing. Uh, For $3, you'll get the bonus segments on Multimedia Failure. You you get the bonus episodes of Rock Out With Your Card Out. And for $5 a month, you will also get a shout out on all the shows we do. So for that $5, I do want to shout out to... Vanessa Hill, thanks <laughs> uh, um, John Lucero one of our other co-hosts on Multimedia Failure Josh Carpenter and Alex Messenger so thank you guys for helping keep the lights on over here and keeping my sanity and seeing that somebody actually wants to pay for these damn things that I do until next time I think that will wrap up this episode and well we'll let Adama take us out so say we all
3: so say we all so say we all so say we all so say we all
0: So say we all.
1: So say we all.
3: Dismissed!